Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The following is a NEC NFL Draft Bible exclusive. Welcome everybody, Dave Schumann here. We have a launch today of a fantastic show that we're going to start with some of the uh, best people in business and success in business, success in athletics, success in sports, successful in general. And we're going to, it's going to be a show about life, learning, and having the ability to see and learn from what those people have done and accomplished. My name is David Schumann. As you may know, I'm the CEO, founder of NUC Sports, Inspired Athletes, Athlete Management, um, co-owner of NFL Draft Bible, among my many other pursuits, host of the Sports Tech Guys. And today we're going to have a, a very special guest on the first episode of our Life Learning Success in Business, Episode 1. This podcast can also be seen on the NUC Media uh, iPad, uh, iPod, podcast. You download it right at iTunes, so you can go there. But this show is all about trying to help others learn from other people who've been successful and their trials and tribulations and some of their their success. Along my road uh, on building uh, businesses as being a former college football player, helping athletes become successful, I wanted to give back and have the opportunity to get some of the very best people this fall season on the first episode of Life Learning Success in Business. I want to welcome all of you here to talk to you a little bit about my first guest, which we should be having on shortly, which will be Shane Stafford. Shane Stafford uh, played football with me at the University of Connecticut. Uh, he, he was someone that was wildly successful as a quarterback at the University of Connecticut, went on uh, and he found his own unique path. He went on to I uh, played on three different NFL teams, um, but he was also known most widely as a, a major star in arena football uh, with Tampa Bay Storm first, um, but most and excitingly importantly, um, he went on to have one of the most successful careers uh, in, in arena football. Um, so we have Shane. Hey, Shane, did you get a chance to call into that number? Yeah, call into that number. We'll have you right on. Um, so that was Shane there, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll have him on the podcast shortly as soon as he he calls into that number. And, and so the whole, the whole point of the, the the show is really to to give you the opportunity to hear from people who have been wildly successful uh, in their field. And it's very exciting. We're going to have many NFL players on. We're going to have uh, many former uh, business executives that have been successful. We're going to have uh, people from the tech field, from business, from finance, 
from sports and athletics. Obviously, that's that's my uh, that's my wheelhouse. So that's what we're going to launch off today. We'll have uh, uh, people that have been successful from the coaching field, from the business field, you name it. Let me get on right now. I uh, gave you the intro uh, to Shane Stafford. We'll get him on right now with the podcast. Shane, what's going on? Hey, Dave. How you doing? Good, good. I gave everybody uh, 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 the grand intro, um, but I want uh, I wanted you to kind of uh, introduce yourself to any people that that know you. We have a huge network, as you as you might know. As li- we we stream these these podcasts live to over 1.6 million people over on Twitter and on Facebook, so another 250,000. So um, I want everybody to kind of uh, hear a little bit about your bio, and then then we can start talking. Uh, about some of the things um, with our goal in this, this podcast is to help people learn from people that have been successful, their trials and tribulations and things that have helped them to become successful. So uh, with that, let let everybody know a little bit about yourself. Well, um, as you know, Dave, this is something I'm not good at doing, uh, bragging about things and talking about myself, but um, I have picked up many lessons. Um, well, you know, long story short, uh, you know, met you at the University of Connecticut and um, played four years there. I started as a redshirt freshman at the University of Connecticut under Skip Holtz, um, who's now at La Tech. Uh, after that, set numerous, you know, NCAA, 1AA records, UConn records, things of that nature. Um, then went and played, uh, pursued a professional career. And uh, ended up playing uh, arena football for quite some time, and uh, I want to say close to 10 years before the league ended up folding in 2009. Uh, was a starter every year except for my rookie year, which I did start two games that year because of injury. Um, so it was a great career uh, from, from that standpoint. Had a chance to play. Um, I was invited to some camps at the NFL level. Uh, I was with the Cleveland Browns. I was with uh, the New England Patriots, played in NFL Europe. Um, had a, you know, fun time over there. We were one of the record-setting offenses when I was with the Scottish Claymores back in 2003. And um, then came back, again, played arena football, but uh, also was with the Tampa Bay Bucks under uh, Coach John Gruden and then played for his brother, Jay Gruden, in the arena football league. Um, so it was fun, man. It was a journey. Um, I wouldn't train it for anything, but uh, there are some things that I would definitely uh, listen more to throughout that journey. I, I want to go way back, and, and the, the the objective of this podcast is really to have people be able to learn and understand, and everybody, and obviously a lot of athletes follow me, and that's prim- primarily the group that does, and, and then their parents. But I think it's something that can help anyone be successful, so trying to give people you know, just the background of somebody who, who came from a road that maybe was unexpected and uh, uh, got to the top of their game in their field. And, you know, I want to go way back to high school. And, and obviously, I haven't been your roommate, and I'm lucky enough to know some very successful people who have done some great things like yourself. Um, but I want to go back to high school. And, and I know uh, you were an outstanding basketball player, um, and that's probably the path that you – thought that you were going to go with, you know, a father that was an outstanding basketball player and a basketball coach. Um, what, what, when football started to become more prominent to you, you know, take me back to high school, what were you thinking, you know, what, what were some of your goals? And then 
it, what, where were you looking to go, and was football something that was originally, you know, your main option? No, that's, uh, that's a good question. Um, it wasn't at all even an option. I just did it because, uh, hell, I'll even take you back further um, to growing up in the city of Reading when all my friends were playing football, and I almost sat out and, and didn't want to play football. I remember watching a game in Pop Warner um, because I didn't like football. I just wanted to play basketball. I think I might have been 10, 11, 12 years old. I watched uh, the the team that I was supposed to play for with my grandfather uh, on the hill and uh, the Northwest Spartans, and um, I missed it. I saw all my friends out there playing. I knew I should have been the starting quarterback of that team, but I chose uh, not to, and then I realized how much I wanted to be with my teammates and my friends, and that's one thing about football that drew me to it as opposed to basketball. Basketball, you can be a great individual player, and you can you can dominate. In football, um, you need the entire team. You need offense, defense, special teams. You need the center to do what they're supposed to do, the outline. You need the quarterback. You need the receivers. You need the running backs. You need, you need everybody. And um, that was one thing that really gravitated me towards football. So it even goes back past uh, high school where I didn't even almost play football. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was dumb. Um, I loved basketball. I loved the finesse of it. I loved the fact that I could dominate it and so on and so forth. But um, moving forward to high school, uh, you know, my father moved me from the inner city out to the suburbs, and we went to Wilson High School, which had a tradition of football. Uh, I want to say over like 50-some. I think we have the national record of winning seasons consecutively uh, at high school level. But uh, Kerry Collins was before me. Then we had another guy who went and played Division Three, who was really good. Then I came in, and then we had Chad Henney after me. So it was a nice little tradition that we built there at that high school. It, now, I, I think it's really interesting because, I, you know, I, I know that your father was a, a basketball coach, and, and, and being a son of a coach myself, uh, uh, you learn different things. Sometimes it's incredibly stressful, too. And, and, and that's one of the things I think that we have in common. Your, your father demands, you know, if, if uh, I always say that if um, uh, if my father wasn't all over me, he felt like uh, the other guys would would take it less seriously. But if they were, he was all over me for everything that I did. Then those guys knew they couldn't mess around. I mean, what what was <laughs> what was some of that like uh um, growing up with a, a father as a coach and obviously he was a successful basketball player what, what were some of the things that you learned you know as far as how to approach the game and how to conduct yourself man it was uh yeah as you well know um it, it was pretty crazy um i mean hell when 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 you can't you know, when you watch your dad at basketball camps make 49 out of 50 shots doing on a, a shooting clinic, literally making 49 out of 50, and I'm not talking about layups. Um, I'm talking about, you know, jump shots 15 to 20 feet away from the basket. Um, it's hard to live up to. And his work ethic, um, you know, he instilled that in me. And without that, you know, I don't think that I would have been nearly as successful um, with, with the endeavors that I did choose. Um, he was somebody that always pushed me. Um, at times, like you said, it was never enough. And, yes, after basketball games, God, it was brutal to go home because even if I put in 20, I should have had 30. 
You know, even if I grabbed 10 rebounds, I should have had 12. You know, even if I locked up their best guy and scored 20, he should have had 10 more points than what he should have had if he had 10 points. So, point is, it was never good enough. But that kind of uh, mentality definitely helps you grow in understanding that they do have the best interest. Um, And they may not always have communicated it, you know, with being parents and fathers and everything like that in in the, the best way that you could interpret it as a child. But they knew what would push the buttons in the right ways. And, and that's something, you know, I'll always be grateful for. Um, and maybe that is part of the reason that I did love football as much as I did, because he didn't know as much about football. So uh, all he knew was if we won or lost, <laughs> instead of if I should have completed passes. That's a very good point. And I think, uh, I, think I, I want to build off of that, because um, you end up choosing football and um, – you know, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong when I ask this question, but, you know, UConn was one of the first schools to offer you. You kind of jumped on it. Um, what, what went into the decision to uh, become a football player, you know, very pretty much late in your high school career? A lot, you know, you know today, right? Everybody's making a decision in eighth grade and ninth grade, and I don't always agree with that for many reasons as to what sport they want to dive into. You're somebody who kind of made that decision to go towards football a little bit later in, in your high school career. What, what, what went to that decision that you wanted to be a football player and, um, and how you arrived at the school that you chose? Honestly, my father. Um, that and along with um, I wanted to make sure that I went to school for free after all the commitments and sacrifices that my family made, my mom uh, come from a divorced family, not, you know, overly wealthy family, but uh, back in the day, you know, I wanted to make sure that, um, that they didn't have to pay for college. And that was my way of paying them back wherever I had to go. Um, but also my dad actually being humble and my family buying into it. Uh, I was once told you don't see too many six foot two white point guards at the college level, but you do see a lot of six foot two white quarterbacks. And take it for what it is. If you want to make it something bigger than what that comment is, go ahead. But in reality, at that time, back in 1994, that's what it was. Um, and so that that kind of uh, helped shape where I was leaning. That on top of I had a not a lot of people know this, but my uh, senior year of high school football, I ended up hurting my thumb really bad on my left hand, or no, uh, I'm sorry, my shooting hand, and um, I sprained it real bad. So when I went into basketball season, I wasn't 100%, and I went in, my junior year, I was averaging right around 20 points and like 10 rebounds. I go into my senior year, and now I'm averaging like maybe 16 and like 6, you know, I'm struggling. And the only thing I have are, like, these D2 offers locally, basketball-wise. Um, but going into that season, I was getting talking, like, I was playing in front of Jim Beheim. I was playing in front of P.J. Carlismo when he was, you know, coaching Seton Hall. I was playing in front of all those guys down in um, Philadelphia in these tournaments in the spring going into my senior year, and I was balling. I mean, some of the best basketball I've ever played and knocking threes down. I remember playing against guys that went to Maryland. They went to Duke. 
you know, all these schools, they went to LaSalle, they went to St. Joe's playing basketball, and I was holding my own. But the issue was when I went in, you know, uh, to my senior year of basketball, the first couple games I was struggling. Like, it wasn't me. My handle wasn't right. And so, you know, taking that into account with Skip Holtz coming into UConn and Danielle Marshall being at UConn and my recruiting visit at UConn, all these things just kind of dominoed, and it seemed like the right thing to do. Very interesting. It, it, it's interesting how uh, different things that can happen and how you per, per, perceive the world can end up having you choose a path which it, you know ends up taking you somewhere that you can end up becoming very successful. And obviously, it's always within you. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your college career. But uh, um, before I do that, I want to talk about what it was like as far as going, you know, growing up in the inner city, um, I would assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, a little bit poorer environment, then moving out into the suburbs where some of the kids out in Wilson, you know, it's a suburban school, a little bit more money. What were some of the things that, that you learned from both sides of the tracks, uh, so to speak, um, that, that someone can learn whether they come from an you know, inner city, poorer environment? Um, or, you know, in suburban, what, what were some of the things that you learned growing up from, from both areas? Well, <laughs> probably one of the biggest ones <laughs> in the inner city, man, walking a mile and a half, <laughs> two miles to school, that was nothing. It would take us 40 minutes to walk to school, and I was probably 10 years old, but a group of us, and, uh, you know, hell, I remember getting – you know, robbed at uh, knife point by by a sixth grader. You know, luckily I hid my money in my shop in my socks in my shoe. And <laughs> you know, you didn't get anything from it. But you know, those are things that I didn't face uh, when I moved out to the suburbs. The worst thing I got in trouble in the suburbs when hell everybody was doing it when I was at <laughs> at the inner city school. I was selling bubble gum for twenty five cents a piece with a pack of gum that I bought for twenty five cents. I mean, you talk about entrepreneurship, but yet when I moved to the suburbs, they were like, we can't have this in our school. So, <laughs> you know, those are just some, some little things, you know, uh, that, that I, I uh, went through. But one of the oddest things, to be honest, was the mentality. Like, there was no survival, really, in the suburbs. It was, it was like, come home, do your homework. Play PlayStation or well, Nintendo back then, Sega. But when I used to live in the hood, hey man, when when when's first uh, game of kill gonna be played? You know where you throw the football up, whoever gets it, you gotta tackle. You know, let's all meet outside. Let's play tag or hey, let's play uh, hide and go seek around, and we only can hide within the block radius. You know that kind of stuff. Hell, I remember one time we played hide and seek, and me and my boy we hid under his dad's garbage truck. This is in the middle of the city, and we found $120 under his truck. That was the best hide-and-seek game ever. But so you talk about some subtlety. You talk about yeah. some subtleties. There's an instinct that, you know, you just build upon when, when you see certain things in the inner city. Um, and, and, and I'm glad I did. But I'm also glad I learned the other side of the track, as you said, um, that – there are other ways of going about things um, and, and, you know, creating success in other ways. So it was good both sides of the story, but 
you know, I would never trade all that those experiences, you know, for where I'm today. It is very interesting. I think it's a unique uh, growing up environment. Very rarely do, you know, people are usually from one side or the other. Very rarely do they they get the experience both. So I, I think that's interesting. Uh, fast forward into you know to uh, your career at UConn. You played for the son. We both did uh, um, of Lou Holtz, Skip Holtz, who's now the head coach uh, at Louisiana Tech. Um, I, I'm recapping your career because I'll probably know it maybe better than almost anybody. But uh, you know, you as it would come to play out, you have a unique ability to when somebody else uh, fails at something, if you step into that role, you never relinquish that role. So um, we we had a, a situation where a couple guys weren't doing what coach needed to get done in order for the program to be successful. And uh, and you got your opportunity, and uh, I remember it playing against Buffalo, and you got in, you led us to uh, twenty, I think it was twenty straight points uh, to win the game. Um, and at the time, that was a a, a, a big, big, big uh, opportunity for us, um, and uh, among among many other opportunities that would come from that point forward. What was it like as a quarterback? Um, Waiting your turn, and what did you feel like when you got the opportunity? Well, nerves, um, no doubt, uh, when when Coach said I was going in. But, you know, there's a similar situation that I'm sure a lot of the youth can relate to. Francois from Florida State, he comes down from 28-6. Yeah. to six. Are you kidding me? He had a rough first half last night, but stuck with it. Had a coach that believed in him. And uh, continued to make plays. It wasn't the prettiest of games, but you know what? There's a lot of things that they'll improve on. But that kid, you know, I can relate to that. No doubt about it. You struggle a little bit, but you find a way to win. And at the end of the day, that's all people count. And and that's what they believe in. And I guess what I would tell young men is you never want to not be ready. Um, That's one thing that somebody told me at a young age. My stepfather actually told me this. He said, Shane, one thing you want to do is make sure you're always ready because you never know when that opportunity is going to come. So he said, you never know where that path is going to lead you. You know, is it going to – your goal may be so high, but yet your ability or your opportunities may only allow you to get so high. So wherever that path leads you, make sure you're ready for that opportunity. And that's one thing that I've always prided myself on doing was behind closed doors doing those little things, things that nobody ever, you know, reads about. And now with Twitter and social media, you know, you get all these guys doing, putting their workouts, what they're doing, and this and that. They're only putting on their great workouts. Who gives a shit? Sorry, I don't know if I curse on it. But, you know, who cares about those little Do what's best for you. You know what I'm saying? Do what's best for you at your time, at your moment. And eventually, if you continue to do that, you'll build those those buildings, those those blocks that eventually will lead to something else. And you know, Dave, like you were saying, uh, you know, every opportunity that I was given, I never looked back. And I would like to say it's because of all the work that I put in prior to that opportunity, behind closed doors, things that hell you probably don't even know about. But I made sure that I had a plan. And if anything ever went wrong, I was ready to step right in. You know what I'm saying? And 
that's one thing that I did pride myself on. I wasn't always the best athlete. I didn't always have the strongest arm. wasn't always the tallest, fastest, this, that, whatever. But you will not outwork me. And that, and that's one thing that I did try and take pride in there. And that's one thing I think that uh, Francois had. I mean, along with some unbelievable talent, along with his work ethic and his belief in himself of, of what he's doing. So it was great to watch that last night. But that's kind of where, you know, my mentality came from. That, that was a great game. It was amazing what Francois did. I, you know, he was actually came to our camps. He was uh, uh, an MVP at a couple of our camps. He's a great kid. And uh, well, yeah, now he's a young man. Um, but it, it was it was really interesting to see an athlete mature. And, and I want to focus on that because, um, and like I said, this is different than maybe the normal. This isn't like your my whole structure on this is really to to help people understand to get inside and learn. Uh, and you talked about being prepared all the time. How, how you know maybe it's one or two things, but you know I can focus on one or two. How do you prepare yourself mentally for the opportunity that is not yet there? How do you get your mind in that mindset? What is, what is something that you might do to get yourself in that mindset to prepare for when that opportunity may happen? Man, if everybody knew that answer, Dave, I think we'd all be successful. Um, it, it's it's tough, man. Um the biggest thing is having a is, what's that? Yeah. What what have you done? You know, you you've been a backup a few times and then became the starter. What have you done to stay ready then all of a sudden you could jump in without the reps that everybody else might have been getting at that time and be successful? Yeah. What what I mean, what what meant and it's, this is a, this might be a little bit of a deep dive into your own brain, but what have you done to to get yourself prepared for that? No. Yeah. Um, and, and to, you know, even further your point, Dave, everywhere I've ever been, I've always been the backup and until I became an earned that starter in high school. I was a I was a backup as a sophomore, and then I took a senior's job. In college, I was a freshman, and then I took the senior's job. And at the professional level, there was a guy there in front of me when I played Arena 2. He got hurt. I never looked back. I took his job, became the all-time AF2 passer for that season most touchdowns, set records, blah, blah, blah. In Arena 1, same thing. A veteran quarterback took his job. He went to another team in actually NFL Europe the only time I didn't. So, ixnay that. But moving forward, um, every other spot, I've always been prepared. And I guess where I'm going with this is, hell, I don't know, but I know when that opportunity comes, I want to make sure that I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm going to put in the work. Because if somebody calls, I might get one rep. I remember vividly playing in Raymond James Stadium in a uh, preseason game against the Texans, and I'm still pissed off at myself this day. We ran a bootleg, and I overthrew a guy who was wide open, and I'm 0 for 1 in NFL stats. But no worries. Um, But the point is, I didn't get one rep prior to, a live rep prior to practice. I got one-on-ones. But all I did was study, 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 write shit, stuff down, write everything down. All I did was just make sure whenever. And it it, it goes into, I know you don't want to hear about what I did, you know, but, but it goes into more of the deeper philosophy of prepare yourself. Um, 
you you can't control what the future holds, but if you constantly prepare yourself, the what if we don't know, but what a shame it would be. And there's this um, there's this poem of what a shame it would be if the opportunity comes and you do not seize it. That's how it ends. And that's kind of how I want to live my life. What a shame it would be if the opportunity comes and you do not seize it. And I wish I could uh, quote the author of that poem, but those last three lines hit home with me. What a shame it would be if the opportunity comes and you don't seize it. Like, that, that's, what if? Like, what if? We can always say the what ifs, like, okay, well, I didn't get a chance, but what if I would have gotten a chance? I would have definitely killed it. No, nobody said you would have killed it. But you did get that chance. You just don't remember when you got that chance in the time that you failed. You know what I'm saying? So it's more of the what if to be prepared for the future as opposed to what if that you didn't get in the past. That's kind of my philosophy. That is, that is I mean, I think that's incredibly profound. Um, so many people don't prepare themselves. So the opportunity comes. They haven't mentally gotten themselves ready. And then, of course, they're going to fail because they haven't visualized themselves becoming successful. They haven't done the day in, day out studying to be successful. You know, obviously, right. today's day and uh, a lot of the uh, the people in the generation behind us, and maybe two generations behind us, they they see um, venture capitalists throwing money at a 24 year old in Snapchat, and they think, well, that should be me. Well, you don't know what he's been doing his whole entire life preparing from coding every right. single day, coding up every single day. They say the same thing about Mark Zuckerberg. Well, you didn't see, you didn't see Mark Zuckerberg uh, score a perfect score in his SATs, and you didn't see him prepare for those things uh, uh, by studying every single day, by coding, by making, you know, the, the development of his business model, which was engineering um, and computer science, his passion, just like football, you were you were so passionate about preparing that when your opportunity comes, you know what you're going to be able to make the most of your your opportunity. I think that's really really important. Um, now, was that something that you learned on your own? Uh, was it you know uh, sometimes it, everyone's different, right? Sometimes people have some of those innate skill sets. Sometimes people learn those skill sets. Uh, you know, did you learn it from somebody else? Well, where, where do you fall on that? I think it was a little bit of both. I really do, Dave. And, you know, just to kind of jump a little bit on what you were talking about just a minute ago is, uh, you know, the same thing with you. Nobody sees what you do behind closed doors. I mean, I don't even see it anymore, but I know what you used to do. I know your work ethic. There's a reason why you're successful. It didn't. You didn't just decide, hey, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to have people on and we're going to talk and I'm going to get 1.2 million followers and another 240-some thousand on this. You didn't just create that overnight and have a dream. You know, you did what you did. I hope I'm quoting those numbers correctly by what you said earlier, but um, you didn't do that. Yeah. (laughs) But the point is there are innate things. That, that we do have, no doubt about it. I mean, you, you go back to Darwinism and, and not to get too crazy with all this stuff, but yeah, it's, it's the survival of the fittest, no doubt. But I also believe that there are certain uh, learning abilities that we all do um, have the opportunity to acquire 
and, and, and really build upon, but it's whether or not you do it. Today's society, I'm truly excited in, in, in the future in terms of where we potentially can go, especially with athletics because the, the social media and, and what that brings, people now are becoming closer. You know, you, the NUC events brought people closer, brought these high school kids from Texas and Florida and California and North Dakota that would never know each other, and now they go to school together. And they're like, hey, I remember you from the NUC event. Yeah, I do too. So now that's building relationships prior to getting to college. They're, and now they're sharing different information to make each other better. I think society is growing from things like this. It's just a matter of utilizing it every day and building upon it. So whether or not – now, there are limited abilities, no doubt. I mean, I can only run a 4.7. That's it. You know, you can only run a 4.9. We all know that. But I know <laughs> – <laughs> but I know a way to maximize that ability, which, by the way, Dave was running a 4-5 back in the day. But, you know, maximizing our abilities to do what we do, and not everybody does that. Not everybody believes in the in the off time as a part of being uh, a chance to get better. And putting in those hours when people don't see them, when it's quiet, when it's dark, when that's when the greatness happens. It doesn't happen when there's 30, 40, 50, 100,000 people in a stand. It happens, greatness happens when there's nobody there. And then when those other people see it, that's just you showing off, man. Like, that's, like let's have fun then. You know, who cares about it then because you already put the work in. Jimbo Fisher said it best. He said we won this game because we put the work in. Francois put the work in. He had one of the toughest camps, even tougher than Jameis Winston. If you listen to successful people, you will, and you believe what they say, you'll be successful. But it may not be in what you want to be successful in, but you'll be successful. There's, there's no doubt about it. I think that's a, a very interesting thing where if you truly listen to what people say that are successful, I think they're, they're actually giving you the keys in their everyday conversation. They're giving you the keys in an interview. Uh, they're giving you the keys. Now, obviously, you were you know one of the most successful arena football quarterbacks of all time, and, and you had a road to that. And obviously, in the next nine minutes, I'm not going to be able to cover that whole road. But I do want to cover something that I think is interesting, and I, I think you cover some amazing things uh, uh, about life and. Now, going from a player to now being a coach, okay, and I know you've worked with athletes one-on-one and some very successful quarterbacks that are going on to get scholarships, but actually coaching in the scheme of things, going from being the quarterback and being the athlete to now motivating other athletes, what are some of the things that, uh, I, you know, enlighten me as to what, how, how that is and, and what have you liked about it or, or what have you learned Um, one of the things that really helped me, Dave, is being the quarterback the entire, my entire life. Um, and it, it goes way back even to being on the conversation we talked about 20 minutes ago with being on different sides of the tracks. You know, I've, I've been around inner city kids. I've been around all African-American, uh, huddles where I'm the only white guy in the huddle. 
I've been around huddles where I'm I'm the white guy in the huddle, but I sound different. So, like I, I've been able to kind of learn from everybody because that that that's one of the reasons why I've been able to keep uh, as a quarterback when I played. Um, looking back at things and listening to people again, listening to people, their feedback um, on what made me great in their eyes ten years later, fifteen years later, twenty years later why they thought I was a great leader, things that I didn't even realize I was doing. But um, it, it just, when it comes to coaching, everybody's different. It's like being in a huddle. How do I vote, motivate a Tavar Claus as opposed to motivating a Dak Newton and a, and a Tory Taylor? Those are three guys that, you know, were in my huddle at the University of Connecticut. How do I motivate a Freddie Solomon who played in the NFL for five, six years, and here I am, uh, in my rookie year as a, as a telling my receiver what to do. How do I motivate uh, an offensive lineman from West by God, Texas, as opposed to, you know, the uh, south, like, like south side of uh, Atlanta? Like, so these things, you just, you, you, if, if you become aware of your surroundings and you listen to people and you find out what motivates them, you can then turn that back around and then you can use it to motivate them. What do they want? What are they trying to get out of this? Those kind of things. That's where in coaching, to me, that's what I try and do. Everybody's different. Yeah, there are times that, like, I've already ripped the dude. I didn't want to, but it needed to be done. That's how he gets motivated. But then there are other times where I'm talking just X's and O's with the quarterback. Hey, what do you see? Like, I can see when quarterbacks are feeling the game when when they're in rhythm i don't say anything to them i hey great job boom dap them up boom boom boom. hey this is what i'm seeing what are you seeing yep we're on the same page good keep going there are other times where i'm like dude what are you looking at like what are you seeing your your footwork is all off you're late with your throws you're throwing to what are you are you reading shoulders are you reading leverage are you are you doing anything we took there are times where I've had those conversations, and they may not always be right, but those are things I feel, you know, every game's different. Every situation is different, and that's how I try and um, treat when, when I'm coaching. I never, ever treat any situation the same. I try and stay in the moment, just like when I played. My motto always was one play, one drive, one quarter, one half, one game, one win. That's it. So every play, I want to see what's going on. Every drive, I want to see what's going on. Every quarter, every half, every game, and then, hey, hopefully we come out with the win. That's how I, you know, kind of went about my young career as a coach. That's that's incredibly – I I think what you come come out of that is that if you focus on your task at hand and don't get Mm -hmm. yourself limited – and, and don't get yourself too far in the future. I think that's where people get overwhelmed. You know, yes, everybody has a plan, you know, but uh, as they say, everybody has a plan until, they, until you get punched in the mouth, right? That was the Mike Tyson quote. Right. But, uh, but, but, but it's, very tell- it's, it's very true, right? How If you live yeah. in the moment versus focusing on, you know, you want to have a plan, but you well, want to live in the moment, yeah. what you could do right now to succeed. 
No doubt, no doubt, Dave, because you could go into uh, a game with a certain game plan, and next thing you know, you do get punched in the mouth and you're down by 20. Florida State, for instance, they wanted to, if you listen to, to uh, I hate to keep going back to this for this most recent game, you keep going back to it. If you listen to, well, what's his name's pregame speech, um, he talked about running the ball, running the ball down Ole Misses, leaning on the offensive line, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. We have the All-American. We have a Heisman Trophy winner potential candidate. All these things. They threw it 50 times. They threw it 50 right. times and had a under, almost under right. uh, 100 yards rushing. So when you do get punched in the mouth, that's when you have to even more so trust the moment. Don't worry about the score. Don't worry about the outcome. Worry about each play. The outcome is irrelevant at that point. And I know we all say, oh, it's wins and losses. Yeah, but, but how do we get to that win? That's important. What's important now, you know, we always just say that win. What's important now? It, whatever. But it's so true. Like, take care of now. And when the more you get down or the more you get up, that's even more of the reason why you need to focus on the now. It's not when it's all flying bullets. It's all craziness. Because then you don't have time to think. But when you have time to think, then you start thinking about the future. You start thinking about what you did in the past. No. Stay in the moment. If you stay in the moment, you give yourself a chance to win. Whatever happens, happens. It does. It will. And, and you know what? The earth will kill, still evolve. It will keep revolving. It will keep going. The sun will come up tomorrow. And then we have to go and we have to find a way to win the next game. We have to find a way to win the next day. All those things. But if you stay in the moment and you take care now, whatever happens in the future, it's irrelevant. Nobody cares about you. I swear they don't. Nobody cared about about uh, Jameis Winston being on the sidelines. Do you think any of those kids cared about Jameis Winston being on the sideline? Maybe they did before the game, and maybe they did after the game. But during the game, when it counted, no, they cared about winning that football game. You know what I'm saying? That's 100%. And I want to close on that because it's great. We're in our last 25 seconds. And I think when Jameis Winston, when, when Francois walked by Jameis Winston, and he, and he simply just patted him on uh, on the back, and Francois kept walking. You realize at that moment, this was a guy that had to do his job, and Jameis Winston understood it. Jameis Winston understood too, which is a great sign of a leader as well. So I want to end it on that, Shane. Unbelievable podcast. Forty-five minutes, absolutely flew. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think the things that people learn from you. Uh, cannot be underscored, and, um, you know, if it's okay with you, I'm going to take this, actually, and send this out to, to my whole list of, co- of coaches, because I just think, uh, high school coaches, because I think it's it's such a great interview uh, for their for their players to hear someone who's been successful and who also is a coach now uh, as, as what he's been able to do uh, to to get himself to be successful and, and I thank you for being on. Obviously, not just as a friend, but I, I, the content that came out was awesome, and I hope people uh, uh, take a lot of it to heart and learn from it. Thanks, Dave. Man, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being on. All right, have a great, great day. You too. Thanks. How was Shane Stafford? former Tampa Storm quarterback, UConn, record-setting quarterback, and now coach of the Tampa Storm. Unbelievable podcast. 
second to none. If you get a chance to listen to this, I'll repost this, send this out. Unbelievable. Um, the first episode. Our second episode we're putting together right now, another kind of game-changing opportunity. We'll be on with a longtime high school coach. Stay tuned. Life, learning, success, and business with David Schumann. Make sure you make every day great. Work on being your very best that you can be, and have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.